free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanks, St Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Talking about, we've been talking about identity, identity the last few weeks. Uh, where am I? Uh, and I'm gonna, just going to finish it off tonight. Uh, this morning, where are we? This morning. Okay. Angie's in Jersey, so she forgets to remind me what day it is. Uh, 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 but to say that uh, we've got basically there's verses that actually tell you who you are in Christ. So it's just confessions there. And I found that it's so important that. Uh, you know, if we want a new ID, it doesn't just sort of drip, drop from the sky. We actually have to work at it. And part of the way we work at it is to actually declare who God says we are. That means speaking things that actually seem contrary to where we feel that moment in time. And so I've got a lot of Bible verses there for you to write, to, to, to memorize, to confess each day. I found these useful to do every day. So every day I declare, I confess these things of who I am in Christ. I don't care, confess, I don't say what my circumstances say to me, what my feelings say to me. I declare what Christ says I am. Okay, so there's some great verses, about, I think about 20 verses there for you to take, to look at, to confess, speak over your own life, and you see the change. The next thing I've got, which I found a kind of useful thing to do, really, there was three columns. One says false identity, the second says true identity, and the third says the promise. As I said before, something often we have to work at. So, for example, a false identity would be this where you're full of fear, where you're just fearful. And you recognize about yourself, you recognize, I really struggle with fear. And I found, what is a false identity, often you look, you look at then, what is the opposite? Because the true identity is the opposite of that false identity. See what I mean? So, your true identity is that you're a person of faith. Is that right? So you put down, your new, it could be different things to different people, but areas of identity that you're struggling with, areas that you recognize about yourself, because the real truth is, because we can hear about all these things, but never really change. Change is something we've got to really want. If you don't want to change, then you're not going to change. How many realize that? Change has got to be something you want, that you're going to work at, that you're going to pursue with all your heart. And you're saying, I don't want that, false, that particular false trait or that false identity anymore. I want to deal with it. So you kind of write it down. You get honest with yourself and recognize where some of these false identities exist. Write them down. Put what the true identity is, and in the third column, you put what the promise of God is over you. And I found this, if you work that through day by day, week by week, month by month, you begin to see change. Amen. You begin to see transformation. So those are the things there for you to take. Also, we're giving free things away today. It's amazing. Uh, Karen's my sermon, because one of the verses we've had for, for a lot of weeks and months as a church was, if my people are called by my name. And it's a little thing, I suppose it's something you can preach on your fridge, can't you? Uh, and different things. And it's beautiful. We've got, I think, about 25 or so over there. So take those, put them on your fridge, do whatever. Take them. They're just really nice things to take. So they're there, just on that back table. So take some of these things. Uh, and so we can really begin to change our identity and look who we are in God. Okay, uh, Proverbs. Are these some of these? Oh, you got your glasses. Okay. Ooh, okay. Age is coming. Age is coming. 
How many notice I haven't got any glasses? Yay! Angie's got glasses. I ain't got glasses. Oh, yeah, at the moment. <laughs> Reality by tone. Okay, I've got, but I do have a very big print Bible. <laughs> vanity, oh, all is vanity. Okay, anyway, Proverbs 23, verse 7. I never looked at this before. It says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. We've been often looking about this, that uh, the way, what we believe about ourselves, what we really believe in our hearts, that's really down the heart, not what we often necessarily say with our mouths, but what we really believe in our hearts, often will determine how you live your life. And if we're not really sure of who we are in God, often, here's the problem. We begin to look for people to affirm us. We begin to look for identity outside of ourselves. We often base our identity, really, by what people say about us, about what our circumstances of, or our experiences in life. That becomes of how we see ourselves. That's how we perceive ourselves. That's where our identity is connected to. In other words, if we don't find our identity in Christ, we tend to look for other things to find our identity in. And that could be 101 things. Could be jobs, could be careers, could be housing, could be money, could be all kinds of things, relationships. In other words, we try to find our identity in other things and we don't find our identity in Christ. And what those false identities do is this. They don't really bring, they don't make us feel secure. It makes us feel unstable because we know these things are fleeting and they go and so we don't feel secure. Someone once said that, someone defined insecurity as being, find security in something else other than who you are in Christ. Uh, So we're looking at this whole concept of learning to find our identity and who we are in Christ. You know, I was struck the other day, and it kind of struck me, and I've been kind of really reading very strongly Matthew 4, the, you know, that's the temptation of Jesus. And I was kind of into it, because I think I shared a few quotes there, because what the thing, what the devil tried to do was undermine Jesus' identity. If you are the Son of God. So what he was doing right there was trying to, trying to undermine his identity and who he was. And it's interesting that Jesus responds this way, because one of the things the devil says to him, he says, if you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. I remember that. And it's interesting how Jesus replies that. And you'll find all the replies are taken from the book of Deuteronomy. And this is what he said. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from heaven. In other words, he was saying this. Devil, I don't have to do things to prove my sonship. My identity comes from who my father says I am. Because just before this occasion, it was the baptism. And the Bible says that the father said, spoke from heaven and says, This is my beloved son, who I am pleased with. And so when the devil says, prove that you're a son, he says, I don't have to prove anything because I've heard from heaven. And that word is proceeding to my heart, and I know who I am.
My identity is not only what I do, but my identity comes from my Father in heaven and what he says about me. Isn't that awesome? I just kind of love that. Anyway, 2 Corinthians, okay, 1 John 4, before we go there. Let me just, I found this again, a bit of a personal way to pray over, over myself. I, this is a kind of mind-boggling verse when you really look at the depths of it. But John, 1 John 4, verse 17. And I want you to look just at that final phrase of, of, of verse 17. It says, because as he is... So are we in this world. Ask yourself this question. What is he like now? Because as he is now, so are we in this world. Isn't that awesome? And I think when you kind of get a hold of that... It just changes everything about you. As he is, so am I in this world. What is he right now? How many would say Jesus is loving right now? Anyone would believe that? As he is, so are we. How many would think Jesus is, I think, is awesomely generous? As he is, so are we in this world. And you would think he's just, you know, one thing, one way Jesus is described is so full of joy. He's so full of joy, he was, a, he, was a, he was anointed above his companions with the oil of gladness. Is that right? And so as he is, so are we in this world. So my identity says, Jesus, because you're like this, I align myself to your estimation of me. He said, well, I don't feel like it. You know, here's the problem sometimes. We base so much on our feelings. But you know what? I found this. Faith, feelings will follow faith rather than faith follow feelings. So if I begin to believe this stuff I'm saying right now, eventually my feelings will come in line to my faith. And so we first of all follow what we believe, and what we believe means our feelings will then follow it. We don't follow our feelings, we follow faith. And as we follow faith, then you'll find that your feelings will begin to kind of feel some of this stuff that we're saying. So we want to align ourselves. Not what we think about ourselves, not what people say about ourselves, not what our circumstances or experience say about ourselves, but the way God says about us. Can you say amen? Look at another verse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, this is, again, I just love this scripture. This is so powerful. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and then rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, but now we know him thus no longer. How powerful. And you'll see there are three new sources of identity. First one, he says, it's the love of Christ that compels me. In other words, he has a new motivation. Is I'm doing things not to make me feel better about myself, but the things that motivates me, the things that compels me to do things, is because 
It's the love of Christ that's burning in me. That's what motivates me. That's what stirs my heart. He says, through my new identity, I, I now have a new motivation. Something new to motivate me. The greatest thing to motivate a life is the love of Christ, right there. You'll do far more being motivated by the love of Christ than anything else. That's the one thing that will motivate you to do amazing things for God is when the love of Christ gets a grip of your heart and stirs you and compels you and moves you. So he has a new motivation. Second thing about his identity right there, he has a new, a new, if I put it this way, a new center of living. He says, I'm no longer living for myself. I'm no longer self-centered, but I'm God-centered. When we talk about having a new idea, I'm not talking about being selfish. I'm talking about having a new source, a new Source at the centre of your heart. Now you're living for Christ. Now He's the source of all that you do. You're not living for you, but you're God-centred. It's all about Him. What does He want me to do? How does this glorify Him? How does this please Him? You have a new centre of your heart. And the third thing, according to that, is you have a new perspective. You see people differently. When your ID changes, you change your perspective and your attitude to people. You no longer see all their faults and their shortcomings. You've got a new perspective. It says you no longer look at people after the flesh, but you look at them through the eyes of Jesus. You know what the second thing is, and this is wonderful, that you could look at the most broken, hurting, almost, did I say, the most unloveliest, the most annoying person you can ever meet, And you can have an incredible love for them. Because you no longer see them after the flesh through your own perspective. You see them through the eyes of Jesus. And I found this, that when you see someone through the eyes of Jesus, it changes everything. It changes everything, the way you relate to them, the way you reach out to them. Because you see them now through a new ID, through new eyes. You see them through God's perspective. Isn't that wonderful? I found this, you know. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. This is probably the worst thing ever. You know, probably a lot, more, a lot worse things, but this is not a good thing. Losing your passport. How many have ever lost their passport? I think I shared a few weeks ago. I lost, I lost mine in Australia, and that's not a good place to lose a passport. Absolute awful feeling when you, when you lose your, your passport. And I was just thinking often in life that it's horrible to, to lose sense of who you are. And I think one of the ways what the enemy wants to do is, is to rob people of what Christ has accomplished in their life. He tries to rob people of their true identity as God intended it to be. And I think when you understand where you are, who you are in Christ, that is where your security comes from. Let me read to you Ephesians 1.10. But this is from the message. It says, In Christ we find out who we are and what we are Living for. Isn't that lovely? You find your purpose. You find your meaning. You find your identity in Christ. You find out who you truly are. Many years ago, there was a guy, and he had tattooed on his head the word Charles Blake. Now, Charles Blake, I'm told, was a, a notorious criminal. He was one of, in those few years ago, he was one of the top people 
on the wanted list, if you like. You know, America's where he's most wanted. <laughs> and he had that tattooed in his head, even though he wasn't Charles Blake. He had tattooed his I'm Charles Blake. And so he was arrested and put in prison for weeks, for a few days, wherever it was, because he had that tattooed on his head, even though he wasn't Charles Blake. And I think we can have things tattooed on our life. Things about us that actually aren't who we are. Things that portray things that are written over us. We can have rejection written over us. We can have victim written over us. Things that define who you are and the way you see yourself. And out of that, you live your life, you live your identity, defines your relationships, it defines what you do. But when you find out who you are in Christ, it absolutely radically transforms your life. There's a guy, if you've ever heard of him, called... Norman Veal, I think Norman, I don't know what it stands for, V. See, Veal, whatever it is. Anyway, Norman Peel, we'll call his name. I forget his middle name. But he's one of the great motivational speakers. He's, he's, do you know, do you know, Vaughan, is it Vaughan? Vincent, that's it. Norman Vincent Peel. Okay. And he's one of, one of the world's kind of top motivational speakers. And he tells a story. He was walking past a, a Chinese kind of tattoo shop. And he couldn't believe it. In the window, I think there was a passing Kong or something like that, but in the window was a tattoo. That, that it was a design. And, and in the words were, I'm a loser. And he, and he went to the tattoo shop. He said, surely people don't have that tattooed on them. I'm a loser. And he said to him, yes, it's, one, it's, my, it's, it's, one, it's my top seller. And he said, I can't. He says, listen, he says, he says, what's in your head, what's in your mind will eventually come out on your life, on your body. And I think that's so true of life, often. That what's tattooed on our mind, if you like, the way we think, the way we see ourselves, will always manifest and reveal itself in our life. In other words, the way that we think conforms the person that we become. But what about when we get transformed by the renewing of our mind? When, what about when we begin to believe, I'm a new creation, I'm forgiven, I'm a son, I'm the righteousness of God, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, I'm blessed in the heavenly places, I'm chosen, I'm adopted, I'm his workmanship. When we begin to, to see ourselves that way, and think ourselves that way, it will affect the way that you live your life. Let me show you a verse. Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30. Proverbs really has so much to say about this whole concept. This is a kind of interesting verse in Proverbs 30, verse 21. And he speaks about things that absolutely... He says, almost, this is a thing that kind of shakes the world. Four things that kind of shake the world. And in verse 22, he says, one of the things that kind of shakes the world. It says that for a servant, when he reigns. Now, in, in the Hebrew, actually, the real translation is this. It says, one thing that we can't, almost the world can't cope with, is when actually a pauper becomes a king. That's actually what it means in Hebrew. It means when a pauper becomes a king. The world can't handle that. And you'll find, actually, when you think about it, think of all the problems we have in our world through dictators 
Whoever you follow, a pauper mentality, yet they begin to rule a nation. And because they're so insecure, because they're so threatened, they kind of create this awful kind of state of, 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 of and destruction. Because although they are kings, they still think like paupers. And here's the incredible truth according to the Bible, that we have become kings. A pauper will feel insignificant. He feels he has no value. He feels he has no, no worth. Because even though he feels significant, in, significant on the outside, in the inside, he feels insignificant. And here's the point. You see, when a person sees himself that way, almost even though you're a king, but in your heart, you still see yourself as a pauper. You still feel yourself as worthless, as valueless, as inferior. You still think that way. You still see yourself that way. Actually, it sabotages everything. Everything in your life is sabotage. Because even though positionally you've been made a king, yet in your heart you don't perceive yourself that way. And so it just sabotages everything about your life. You can never progress, never can do the things you want to do because of the way you perceive and the way you see yourself. I love Moses. How many love Moses? You know, Moses really, even though he was... His parents were slaves. Actually, he wasn't brought up as a slave. I mean, they realize that. He was brought up as a king. He was brought up as, as royalty. That's the way he thought. He thought as a king. He thought as someone who was royal. And so one day, when he sees two slaves fighting, he tries to intervene. And they say to him, who are you to tell us what to do? Really, he'd probably never been told that way. Because as far as he was concerned... He was royalty. He was a king. Here's the point. It's interesting God chose somebody like that to set the people free. Because until you see yourself as free on the inside, you'll never actually set anybody else free. You'll never set people free from bondage yourself if you're still in bondage. You'll never bring people into freedom if you're still not in freedom yourself. Because whatever is in you actually has influence and affects everybody else around them. Do you realize that? The, what's on the inside will always affect what's on the outside. What's internal will ex- affect external. You look at it in a small way. Think of your dear, wonderful house. Think what happens when one of you is in a bad mood. I'm sure that never happens, but say, let's say, for example, one of you one day is in a bad mood. Do you think it affects the atmosphere in the house? How many would say that? You know, does it not affect, do you even, can you tell when someone's in a good mood or bad mood, someone close to you? I mean, you can feel that. And you, you can feel the atmosphere, you know, oh, better be careful what I say today or, you know, and you're very careful what you say. Because you, you're, you're aware, you feel something in the atmosphere because what is in the inside begins to be manifest on the outside. Is that true? So what is in us actually affects things around us. And so we've got to get it that what's in us actually, ultimately, will reveal itself on the outside. And because Moses on the inside was royalty, he was a king, he was a a man of freedom, what was in him began to be manifest outside of him. And he was able to come and say, set my people free. Because I'm free on the inside, I can command you to set people free on the outside. Can you say amen? Let me go a great verse here. Isaiah 27 verse 1. This is a probably throwing out some very weird kind of scriptures today, but 
Sometimes it's good to do that. Isaiah 27. And just verse 1. It says, In the day the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish the Lethian, the fleeing serpent, Lethian, that twisted serpent. He will slay the reptile that is in the sea. Now, I've got time to go into great detail, but that Lethian there is a picture of a demonic force that comes against us. And what does it do? It comes and it twists. There's a form. It comes and twists things. I found this, that when the enemy really gets a kind of disturbs or affects our identity, almost everything that comes to us, we twist. Because the way we perceive ourselves twists everything everyone says to us. For example, someone says to you, let's say, for example, I love you. Because of that twisted identity, we think, well, what are they after? What do they want? Or someone says, I was really blessed by the word that you gave. That's a good example. Uh, or, thank you for your ministry. We think, uh, we think to ourselves, they're not being real, they're just saying that. They don't really mean it. Because this sense wants to twist it. Or another thing happens where someone says, uh, oh, I love your dress. So a twisted thought would think, that means they didn't like my other dress. So almost everything that comes to us, we can't actually, because in ourselves, in our hearts, we, we don't kind of, we have a, such a, a, dis, a, a false identity that we can't accept compliments. And I know that is choice with that time and time again. If anyone give me a compliment, you know what I do? I change the subject. I really would. Because I, I felt, because of what I was seeing myself on the inside, I couldn't accept compliments. Because something in me struggled with it. And when we push it one step further, we find it hard to receive things from people. People want to help us. Oh, no, no, I'm all right, thank you. And we actually find it very, very hard to receive help because of something that's inside us, our twisted identity, that prevents us receiving compliments, that that prevents us receiving those blessings that God wants to pour into my life. Something that says, I don't feel worthy of that blessing. I don't feel worthy of that compliment. I don't feel worthy of what's been said. And so it affects everything about us because of this real, disturbed and twisted identity that's inside our hearts. Let me say something else about it. There's a few things about identity. Here's the next thing. By your identity will bring your authority. In other words, if we don't know our identity, we won't won't have any authority. Circumstances will rule us. Feelings will rule over us. We'll know, you know, we'll have no real confidence in Christ. Because if I'm not identified to Christ, then when a problem and a, 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 a big problem arises, I've got no confidence that Christ will bring me through it because I, I'm, my identity is not really in Him. You know, the truth is sometimes it's not right now. If things are going well for you, that's not really the, the sense where you know your identity. True identity is actually manifested when things aren't going well for you. When things begin to fall apart, because what's in your heart then begins to manifest itself. The fears come out. The wrong concepts come out. But when you know who you are in Christ, no matter what happens, you know you have authority over it. You know you can speak to the mountains and you can command those mountains to go in the name of Jesus. 
If, you're, if your identity is in yourself, you'll never move mountains. Because you'll never feel you've got the power in yourself to move those mountains. But when you know who you are in Christ, you know you have the power to move mountains and obstacles that come your way. Can you say amen? And part of our lack of authority is really down to our lack of identity. I think the church actually has often been damaged by lack of authority, lack of boldness, because we don't really know who we are in Christ. When you know who you are in Christ, the result will be, will be authority. You're going to have authority over all kinds of things because you know who you are in Christ. You say, amen. I think the next thing, identity comes when we recognize the old nature is dead. The old pauper type attitude has died. You know that your old nature died when Christ died. Paul says, reckon yourself dead to sin. Now that word reckon is actually, said before, it's, it's, an, it's a, a word that you use for mathematics. It's actually true whether you believe it or not. You've died with Christ and it's true whether you believe it or whether you believe it not. It's, I believe it whether I feel like it, but here's the point. When I really begin to believe it, I begin to act like it's true. I begin to act like I'm a new creation. I begin to act like I'm the righteousness of Christ. I begin to act who I am in Christ. In other words, I know that old nature, that old person I was, all the old attitudes, all the old way of responding, all the old ways I used to live and the way I used to think and the things I used to do, they died. And now I've got a new nature, a new person in Christ. I love it. Here's the next thing is this. Paul declares... There is no more what? Condemnation. And you'll find this. The condemnation connects you to your old nature. You begin to say things like, I'm a loser and I've got no value, I've got no worth. And it's often this sense that, and often that's what the enemy will do. The enemy will make you feel condemned. In other words, when you fail, when you mess up, you feel condemned over it. And people live under such guilt. People live under such condemnation. Their lives are ruled and controlled by guilt and condemnation. And condemnation is not from God. Conviction is from the Spirit of God. And there's the difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction connects you to your new nature. Conviction says, you're a king. You don't have to act that way. Conviction says, you're the righteousness of God. Why did you do that for? Why did you behave that way? Because you're the righteousness of God. Conviction says you don't have to talk that way because your life has been transformed and changed. So conviction actually shows you your new nature. Condemnation is always drawing you to your old nature. Conviction points you to your new nature and who you are in Christ. And here's the next thing of identity. Identity connects you to your inner convictions. Why is it that your passport always seems to have the worst picture possible? Have you found that? Look at the thing. Why is that photo? Why is that photograph? I look so, you know, my, my all, using my, my, my good-looking traits and not seem to come out there, you know. I seem to have aged about 30 years since that photograph. How many have had that old photograph? It's almost... 
And you find when you go through passport control, they're looking at you thinking, you, you're, lost. you're so good looking, that can't be you. You know what I mean? And it, there's crazy ideas of these passports. But I found this, that when you know your identity, you live by certain convictions. I think there's a difference between living by convictions and living by preference. Living by core values. You know what a core value is or a conviction is? It's something almost you'd die for. You have such a conviction about it. It's such a core value that nothing in this world is going to ever take it from you. I was thinking of core values that we often have. There should be convictions in our hearts. The power of the family. That should be a conviction. The importance of local church. The power of prayer. Living close to Jesus. Living for his cause. Walking in love. The power of the Holy Spirit. All these things should be convictions that we live by. The love of God. Almost the love of God should be such a conviction. No matter what happens, it's a conviction. And nothing's going to steal away from us. You know what a preference is? A preference It's something what you do when you feel like it. It's something almost you can take or leave it. And I think if you've got a new idea and you know who you are in Christ, you live out of conviction, not out of preference. You live by core values. That nothing is going to snatch that from your heart. Because it's a value. It's a conviction. You you are convicted of it no matter what anybody else says, no matter what your experience says. What, what your circumstances say, you have this core value that's right in your heart and nothing is going to snatch it away from you. I think when you lose your identity, it affects how you see others. You begin to be threatened by other people. What I mean by that, you become envious, jealous, because you're rooted in who you are. And out of that insecurity, you feel threatened by other people. Particularly if they've got a powerful, like outgoing personality or a different personality to you. We can often feel threatened to people because we're not secure in who we are. We feel threatened by other people around us. And often that leads to envy and jealousy. All these things can get a hold of us because really we lose our identity, who we are in Jesus. Next thing is this. When you know who you are, then you'll take a negative part of life and you turn it into a positive. Joseph came from a dysfunctional family, but because he saw himself as a king, as royal, he turned what was a negative and he turned it into a positive. When you know who you are, you have confidence in Christ and you know there's nothing that God can't turn around and make it work for your benefit. No matter what it is. You say, God, thank you, I'm a king. Thank you, I'm your child. And I know you're going to turn this around. You're going to make it work for my benefit. I'm confident that you can do it. Amen. Now, let me close so I kind of land in this thing. Let me just give you a few things. Keys to establishing your identity in Christ. Here's a good one. Resolve the past issues that have impacted your identity. Let me give you an example. This and I'm sharing a weakness from me. Is that all right? When we first married, when me and Andrew were first married, if I put a shirt on, or not all the time, I put a shirt on, he said, why don't you put that on? That might look nicer. Now, 
Now, that shouldn't bother me. Why, you know, for example, she's got better dress, better, a better dress, dress sense than I have, really, if I'm honest. You know. Why did that bother me? Every time she says, well, try that, try that shirt on, I, something could rise up in me. I felt really kind of angry and like a negative response would rise up in me. And I thought, why is that? And I kind of realized what it was. Many years ago, probably when I was actually a teenager, my, and I had a wonderful mom, so it's not, she had a, I had a wonderful mom, but she'd always try and dress me. And I'm talking now, I'm 14, 15, 16, she's still trying to tell me the clothes. And some of the stuff I put on, I remember wearing something once which actually resulted in me being mocked that day at school, which was not a good place to be, you know. And those things kind of... And every time I went to go shopping or buy myself something, I'm 15 now, 16, she still wants to come shopping and choose my clothes for me. I'm so glad when I went in Birmingham, such a big city, there weren't anybody around that I knew. It's not cool to have your mum when you're 16 years of age trying to choose your clothes. Is that, is that right? And so that kind of thing, I think they're the kind of effect. Almost, it was actually an issue of control, actually. I think it was an issue of control. And when Angie then says to me, why don't you try this shirt on? I'm experienced, I'm feeling she's trying to take control over my life. And so there's this reaction up. Up there. And I realized that was an issue that I needed to resolve. And I think there can be all kinds of issues in us that we need to resolve. Ask yourself some questions. Why do I react certain ways? Somebody says something or describes an event, says something about something, and something in you sort of rises up. Why do I rise up? Why do I react when that person talks about that? I guarantee probably it's something in your heart that's never been fully resolved. And the way to really get your identity is to recognize some of these things. Some of these things that rise up in us and begin to bring them to the cross. Don't paint over it, but begin to cut it out of your life and let go of it. Here's the last thing. Let me just close with this one. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Now, this is a beautiful one. It's a good, good place to finish. 2 Corinthians three eighteen. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when you go to your mirror, there's a, oh, there's a, there's a hair out of place. I'm glad to see a hair out of place. Or, oh, there's a kind of spot there, or there's something not right on that part of my face. So we then try to kind of put it right, do it, pull the hairs out, do what you have to do. Because that's the way mirrors operate. Mirrors are there to show blemishes. You know, your hair's not combed properly, or this is not done properly. It reveals blemishes. But here is an amazing type of mirror here. In this mirror, you know what it says? It says, we behold the Lord. We behold his glory. In other words, the way really to get your image is not to constantly look at your own weaknesses and your own inferiorities, if you like, but to actually begin to look at Jesus. To begin to look at his perfections. To begin to look at who he is. Because the more I focus on him, the more I'm going to become like him. Because ultimately, you become what you focus on. You become what you look at. So the more I look at Jesus, the more like him I'm going to become. The more I focus on my weaknesses, then the more those things are going to be built up in me. 
were here in the, in the Wednesday, the, uh, the young adult group. A story there by somebody saying that how the, often when you look at a father, for example, and you didn't have a good father, people often say things like that. I never want to be like him. And the more you focus on what you don't want to be like, you know the incredible thing is? That's what you become like. Because that's what you're focusing on. You're focusing on rather than what Jesus is, you're focusing on what you don't want to become. And the more you focus on what you don't want to become, you end up becoming like it. Isn't that frightening? So here's the point. I've got to look at Jesus. And the more I focus on him, the more I become like him. And you can think of people, people you know, he says, my father's alcoholic. I'm never going to be like that. And the more they focused on it, the more they kind of began to center their attention on it. The awful thing is, eventually, that's what they became. Because they were looking rather than what they didn't want to become, rather than what they did want to become. Amen? So instead of looking on what you're not, start looking at what you, what you can be in Jesus. Bible says, when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you as you were. He looks at you as you are now in Christ. This is what the Bible says. No, it says, says, put off the old nature. Put it off. Take it off. Take off those things. Take off the old conversations. Take off all the other things of your life. All the old negativity, the inferiorities, the self-consciousness. Begin to pull these things out of your lifestyle. And begin to focus on the new. Begin to focus on who you truly are in Christ Jesus. You've thought about this, and I'll close with this. You know why God doesn't tell you to focus on your old nature? So I tell you why that is? Because as far as he's concerned, it's dead. You died with Christ. And God is working on your new nature. You know what your old nature? Listen. It can't be reconstructed. It can't be put back together. The only answer to your old nature is death, crucifixion. And God doesn't try to to put together your old nature. He puts it to death. So that you live in the power of your new nature. Let's just come before him right now. Let's just bow our heads before him right now in these moments. Just begin to thank him right now. Say, Lord, today, thank you for who I am in Christ. Thank you for my new nature. And give me the power and the ability. Let me no longer allow the enemy's lies and the enemy's deception. The enemy's false estimation of me begin to control me or rule me anymore. But let me see myself, who I am in Jesus. I'm a new creature, a new nature. Here's a good question to ask yourself. If Jesus is loving and I'm meant to be loving, what does that look like? How does that kind of work out in my lifestyle? If Jesus is generous, and I need to live that kind of generous life because that's what he's like and that's my new nature. What does that look like in a practical way? Bringing words of encouragement and being generous to people in blessings and words and all kinds of things. And 
What I'm saying is you take those things and begin to say, how does that look like in my life? How does that work out? And you begin to live it out. And moment by moment, day by day, week by week, as the months go by, your life begins to be transformed and changed because you're living out of the power of a new identity. Hallelujah. Would you just stand now and I just want to pray over you this morning. Lord, I thank you today that you've given us a brand new nature. Thank you for the new idea we have today. Thank you, Lord, the old is gone and the new is come. Lord, I pray for your grace. I pray for your strength. I pray for your ability, God, to be all that you've called us to be. And I break every lie, every deception of the enemy. Those lies, those deceptions, those, those works of the enemy that would keep us living so much below our true identity in Christ. And we, I pray, God, would you help us to see those things? Would you help us to break free from the, the false misconceptions, the false ideas, the, the condemnation, the guilt, all these things that the enemy wants to put on us? And Lord, today we would rise up in our new nature in Christ. We'd rise up and see ourselves as we really are in you. God, just bless us, your people, today. Let your word be truth. Let your word impact our hearts today. That we'd rise up to all the fullness of who we are in you. And I pray a blessing on your people today, God. Just bless your people in every way possible. May all that we are in Jesus be revealed and demonstrated to a hurting and broken world. May we live in our liberty that we may set all those who are captive free to give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. 